In the race for governor, the question of campaign finances isn't how much, but from how many and whom. In the U.S. Senate race, it's all about how much. In the end, what's more important? This and more coming up next. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record. Joining Ann Fisher this week, Joe Ingalls, Statehouse reporter, Ohio Public Radio. Emily Reamer, reporter for ABC6 and Fox 28. Joe Moss, Ohio Hispanic Coalition. And Leah Sellers, professor in the College of Law at Ohio Northern University. Wednesday was the deadline for statewide candidates to file their finance reports with the Ohio Secretary of State. This is part of the usual song and dance that's required of candidates. John Kasich and Ted Strickland are neck and neck in fundraising for the governor's race, and Democrat Lee Fisher remains far behind his GOP opponent, Rob Portman. Joe Ingalls, is it still too early to tell how those numbers will translate by Election Day in November? Well, I think what's more scary right now is if you look at the organization. It seems like uh, Lee Fisher's campaign, they've had turnover in the staff. It seems like there's not a streamlined message there like there is in the Portman campaign. The Portman campaign is coming out jobs, jobs, jobs. And Fisher's campaign doesn't seem to have that momentum yet. Um, but then again, let's be real. We haven't hit Labor Day, and voters aren't necessarily paying attention. So if you're going to have issues in your campaign, right now is the time to do it. But you also need a little bit of money. You do. Um, and how you spend that money is important um, because, the you know, one of the thoughts, traditional thoughts of, of politics is you wait until the very last and you make a blast. But we're seeing early voting more and more and more these days. And with the early voting, you kind of need to make it more of an approach where it's, you know, spread out over a period of time. And if you don't have the money, don't have the funding, that can cause you some problems. Do voters care how many little contributions were made to a candidate's uh, uh, coffers? I don't think so. I don't think they do. I mean, frankly, I don't think they even really pay attention to campaign finance reports. You know, we do because we care about these kinds of things, but I think they don't. I think the thing for voters is that they need to know that record amounts of money are being stockpiled, and that means they're gonna <laughs> they are gonna be paid a lot of attention to in the fall. So get ready to be the uh, object of everyone's attention. You know, once they start spending all that. And money. what uh, what smaller dollar and and more uh, contributions indicate is that there's uh, support for these candidates. And these, these are the people, if they contribute $5, $10, $20, who will show up at the polls in November for, to vote. And I agree 100%. That's, that's what I was thinking about as well. It's sort of a proxy for how are the people going to be turning out. However, if the money is used in a constructive way, TV or media or whatever it is that they're going to use, and then that brings the people out, then obviously that's going to be the, the game changer at that time. Lee Fisher has a basically $1 for every $8 that Rob Portman has now. Uh, he spent a lot of money in his primary race uh, against uh, Secretary of State Jennifer Berner. Did he get any bang for his buck out of that, and is that going to help him down the road? Well, he's a nominee, so I would say he got some bang for his buck. Um, and he didn't beat her by a lot. When you look at the numbers, um, you wonder if he hadn't put that big infusion in cash right there at the end, if he would have won. But, the, you know, going back to this whole money thing, I think the thing we're forgetting is there are outside groups, independent expenditure groups, that will come in and they will be spending money on behalf of these candidates. So that is somewhat of an equalizer sometimes when you see a candidate that doesn't have as much funding at 
at this point. Um, maybe when it when it comes down to the race, the real race, they might have more just because these outside expenditure groups help them out. But I don't think that's going to happen in the Fisher-Portman race. Uh, I think the Democratic voters made a huge mistake in picking uh, Fisher over Portman. I don't think he has the ability to raise the money even over even bringing outside sources like uh, California fundraisers in. Well, I think the thing that was interesting as well, to your point in choosing Fisher over Bruner, is that you would think that once it's been decided, we have a Democratic nominee, that now the money floods in. Maybe people were waiting to see what would happen. But we haven't really seen that, and I kind of wonder why. And I kind of expected that, but I wanted to make a comment concerning uh, Joe's comment about the the focus of the, of the campaign. I, I think it's easy just to repeat jobs. I think everybody wants jobs in the economy. And, and things like that. Uh, but there also has been a turnover in his campaign staff that I think has been problematic, perhaps in, in crafting the message and advancing it. Okay, the dates are set. On September 14th and October 7th, incumbent Democratic Governor Ted Strickland and his Republican challenger John Kasich will face off on the issues in two debates. But when's the last time a debate changed anybody's mind? Emily Reamer, do debates matter anymore? I say yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I really I really feel strongly about this because it's, it's a voter's chance to see them unscripted. I mean, you might see them every night and every day on TV, but those are sound bites that I pick out, that Joe picks out, that newspaper reporters pick out, or they're TV ads that are produced, heavily produced to convey a certain message. But when you see them live, you see them stumble or get back up or stutter or whatever, I think it totally makes a game changer. And I really hope that in these debates, they ask tough questions about these issues that we're not talking about, which is this multi-billion dollar budget hole and how we're going to fix it. And look, and look at history. I mean, you can think perhaps of the Bush-Kerry debates. That didn't make that much of a difference. But how about Kennedy-Nixon? Right. How about Reagan-Carter? In both of those instances, it, it was really what made the difference in the general election. I completely agree, Emily, uh, Joe. The moderator really is key. Does the moderator ask tough questions? Also, does the moderator step aside and let the candidates talk? And that head-to-head that, um, -head conversation is really critical. Mm -hmm. They're going to be one-hour debates televised by the local TV partners of the Columbus Dispatch and the Blade in Toledo. Um, a panel of four newspaper reporters will pose questions at each debate. Do they, are they really unscripted though, Emily? I wanted to follow up on that because they don't sound unscripted anymore. They don't, you're right, because they do stick to message because that's what they're probably told over and over. Stick to the message, stick to the message, stick to the message. And that's why, you know, to Leah's point, the moderator is so important because, you know, when I'm in an interview and they've said you have 10 minutes, I can't spend five of them going in circles with someone when I want to get to other things. So if the moderator can get them back on point very quickly and just keep hammering them until they give a solid answer, Answer, you could get something substantial out of it. And that's going to be key. Whoever's sitting on that panel, the reporters, are going to be key to this debate because uh, you can phrase a question, you know, the same question five different ways. And if you don't get the answer the first time, you better go back again, especially when we're facing a four to eight billion dollar shortfall in the next two year budget. I think Ohioans want to know exactly what these candidates are going to do to try to meet that shortfall. And if you take taxes off the table or you don't want tax taxes, uh, as we've heard right now, then what are you going to do to balance that budget? And Ohioans need to know that. 
the, the budget shortfall is like the nuclear bomb, but sometimes firecrackers can uh, cause more trouble than anything. And maybe a firecracker would be the governor's executive order prohibiting use of public funds for outsourcing. Right. Is that is that a good example that came out today? Yes, uh, the governor put out this executive order just a, a little bit ago, actually a few minutes ago. And um, the idea is to deal with a problem that occurred earlier, we found out about earlier this week, which is uh, this contract, you know, everyone had the cash for appliances where you could go out and buy an energy efficient dishwasher or refrigerator, name it, and uh, you would get some money back. And that program was operated by a Texas company that was awarded that contract. Turns out we find out the jobs for the call center are located in El Salvador. So that's not helping. Texas those was bad enough. <laughs> right. Texas, right. Yeah, Texas, but I think they could deal with Texas. But the fact <laughs> that those jobs were in El Salvador and not ultimately what they would have liked to have had was Ohio. But, you know, not even American jobs. Um, that really created some controversy. So the governor has come out with this uh, order. And basically it says that when in the future, when they bid contracts, these companies bid contracts, they have to tell the locations of where their employees are going to be working, what they're going to be doing. And the obvious irony is that this were stimulus funds that were being used. <laughs> so it was stimulating right. the economy in El Salvador. And yeah. I think you, you know, if you were going to use it in a debate, the Kasich campaign could say, well, why didn't they know that? How did this happen? Shouldn't they have asked the question? I think you're right. I think it could be, I could come up and they could use it. And, and, and why didn't they, are they saying? Well, they actually, the questions were apparently asked. Uh, we, uh, senator Goodman, a Republican senator who's uh, term limited uh, at the end of the year, he was sitting on the controlling board that actually uh, helps to decide where to award these contracts. And he says that these questions were asked and that someone with the Department of Development said that they were going to be uh, jobs that were, you know, not outsourced. So. Uh, there's some controversy there about were the questions asked, how they were answered, and whether they should have known. The one thing we do know is that the initial bid for this Texas company was about 300,000 lower or 250,000 lower than the other two bids that were on the table, and those were Ohio companies. So, you know, if I'm buying a car and I, I see three cars in front of me and they're all pretty much alike, and then I look at one and they have a price tag that's a third of the other two, I'm going to say, has that car been in a wreck? You know, I think people ask questions at that point. The executive order, though, doesn't give preference to Ohio it jobs. Doesn't. It doesn't. And I think, you know, one of the things that we've seen with the Buy Ohio legislation that was out a while back, sometimes that doesn't work. Buy Ohio just doesn't work because maybe the product isn't available in Ohio, or for some reason it might be um, very cost prohibitive in some cases. So it doesn't include the, it has to be an Ohio kind of job, but a requirement, but you know, I, I can't help but think if two offers are on the table and one involves more Ohio jobs, I mean, wouldn't, if you were a politician, wouldn't you go for the Ohio jobs? Old politician <laughs> question. Okay, moving on. The once a decade opportunity to change how legislative lines are drawn in Ohio has expired. State lawmakers this week delayed action on a plan until after the Wednesday deadline, leaving the watchdog group Ohio Citizen Action with this lament. It's a heartache. Nothing but a heartache. Hits you when it's too late Hits you when you're down It's a fool's game Nothing but a fool's game 
Yomas, some say it was behind-the-scenes lobbying that by special interest groups that killed the bill or killed the compromise. And whatever that those special interest groups might be, you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of health care reform. 75%, 100% of, of, of Americans feel that we need to do something about health care reform. But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty and the, and the brass tacks, there is little movement there, whether or that there is some sort of blocked by special interest groups, by uh, specific uh, politicians. We had an initiative from the Republicans, an initiative from the Democrats. Either one probably could have worked, but no movement. And, and John Husted, who uh, submitted the Republican uh, version, was, uh, in was ready to compromise with the Democrats in the House. They were ready to do it. They had been working behind, you know, the scenes a long time to try to get something together, and the two proposals were, were close, really. Um, but it just seemed like there wasn't a will to get it done. And, and let's not forget here that the uh, state legislature is now out of session, so to do anything would have required calling all these people back from their summer vacation, and there just wasn't a will to get it done. And it's also an election year. Yeah. Well, it always is an election year, and you know the, the current system now things. will stay in place with the five-member apportionment board drawing new districts next year based on the 2010 census. The board uh, includes the governor, secretary of state, auditor, and a member of the legislature, and uh, whoever controls two of those three statewide statewide elective offices on the board uh, controls uh, redistricting in Ohio. This, this is an indication that this, uh, these uh, races are competitive in Ohio. So the governor's race is competitive, the uh, auditor's race is competitive, and um, secretary of state is, is somewhat competitive as well. So neither side was willing to, to gamble, um, and, or they're willing to gamble, they're not willing to compromise. Right. Well, and that's the big, I guess that's the big issue, isn't it, is that, you know, when you think about it long term, if we change this, it means that the current system can no longer work. And what happens in the current system? The people that are in power can draw the lines the way they want them. And so I guess, like you're saying, neither one was willing to lose that. Um, but at the same time, the thing I wonder, too, about this is how much the average voter knows about this or understands it. You know, apportionment board, I get it, and we all get it. Um, but the thing that I wondered is if more people understood what it meant and how important it is, if it would have had a different outcome, I don't know. You remember back in 2005, there was issue four. And uh, the proponents of that issue did try to educate the voters, didn't seem to have made any difference. Mm -hmm. So maybe not then. Well, I don't it's know. not a 30 second ad. It's this not. is not a 30 second well, ad. And it's not a pocketbook issue. It mm -hmm. doesn't affect their day to day right. lives. I mean, I would imagine. I mean, wondering how often do you wonder why the person across town doesn't vote in the same, uh, you know, uh, for the same person as you do or in, in the same races? Um, who does? Mm -hmm. Yeah. No one. <laughs> okay. A federal judge in California has overturned the statewide referendum banning gay marriage triggering celebrations across the country. Others say this is the work of an activist judge who's out of step with the majority. Leah Sellers, why should Ohioans care what happens in California? Well, there's two perspectives for this. One is legal and one is political. From the, the legal perspective, uh, Ohioans should know that this is not binding precedent on Ohio law. So this is a district court judge in California in a completely different appellate district than Ohio, not binding precedent, doesn't directly impact Ohio law. From a political perspective, however, uh, when you're a person like me who thinks that government shouldn't write laws uh, regulating marriage, um, and that perhaps these gay marriage bans are a lot like the miscegenation laws in the 1960s, then you're happy with the decision. Um, if, on the other hand, you are concerned 
about uh, this decision and a longer term impact on Ohio law or, or uh, U.S. law, then you might look, from, uh, look to the Ohio Attorney General race because for answers and make a decision there because the Ohio Attorney General would be the uh, person who is left to defend the state's laws in case it was ever challenged in court. I don't know what DeWine's position is that, uh, on this. I don't know what Cordray's position is on this. But if you're concerned about it, look at, look at their positions uh, on this uh, case. I think the reason that this case is so exciting, and I agree with much of what you said, is because the decision was issued on equal protection grounds. And that is likely to end up in the U.S. Supreme Court. And although this specific decision this week may not affect Ohio, when it reaches the Supreme Court, it's likely to. And the other interesting thing, and the, and the thing that I, I guess bothers me the most as an attorney, is that we talk then about the politics of the Supreme Court as to whether conservative versus more liberal justices are likely to go one way versus the other, rather than the pure analysis of the constitutional question at hand. The uh, judge in California is said to have written this specifically for the U.S. Supreme Court. Everything about it was geared toward that. It was a 136-page decision. I read it all. Very well written. Um, he hit all the basics that Joe uh, mentioned in a, in a very precise way. Um, a couple of things. There is, number one, there's a competing case in Massachusetts that may reach the Supreme Court first and effectively decide this, although it's a different issue. Mm -hmm. And secondly, when you look, when you f it, for people who followed the trial on Prop 8, the state dropped the ball. They put out no evidence to support the state's position. And when you've got a, a powerhouse like conservative uh, lawyer Ted Olson, um, arguing the case, uh, you know, that's a problem. Kind that's why Ohioans should look, look to the attorney general's race. B because you think, you predict that it'll come up, the case will come uh, up in Ohio before? I'm not before necessarily predicting because I that, because I don't think that Ohio is part of the uh, legal strategy for, uh, for folks in this area. Uh, at least that's my understanding uh, presently. And now that they've got the Von Walker decision and the, um, and the Massachusetts case, um, there are other opportunities for this case to reach the, the U.S. Supreme Court. I was scanning some blogs, and uh, the, the accusation is made is, like, how dare this judge overturn the people's decision? Uh, just because it's the people's decision, that's, what? That's what judges are supposed to do. They are supposed to not necessarily be looking at the will of the people. And by the way, this is kind of an interesting thing. The, the latest polling in California shows that 51% of the people in California are now against the proposition and in favor of gay marriage. So things change. Maybe that's one of the reasons judges are supposed to be somewhat isolated from that. Now, this judge now, uh, it's coming out, is apparently openly gay. Um, and mm -hmm. there's been criticism of that as well. Should that make a difference? Completely irrelevant to his uh, 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 judging. And when you read his opinion, you'll see why. And, and both sides, the plaintiffs and the defendants, had they, they were aware of this before litigating the case, and neither side cared about that either. A district court has overturned Kentucky restrictions on judicial politicking. Now, a group of Ohio Democrats has sued to overturn a nearly 100-year-old state law that bans judicial candidates from identifying their party labels on general election ballots. Joe Ingalls, what's the point and why are Democrats the ones to make it? I assume they're the ones that would uh, benefit from it. Well, let's look at the court right now. The Ohio Supreme Court is solely made up of Republicans. And they don't, you know, right now we don't have uh, the label Republican or Democrat next to a 
judge, judge's candidate's name. So when you go into the voting booth, you don't know which candidate is the Republican or the Democrat unless you've carried in the party's, um, what is it, the scorecard or the cheat sheet or whatever they, they mail out to you. So, uh, you know, the Democrats feel like uh, this is this system, the current system is to their disadvantage and they want to change it. The Republicans don't necessarily want to change it. It's working for them. Well, I guess t the big question would be, you know, if you're thinking about changing it, does that help a voter make a more informed decision, or does it just inject politics into something that perhaps, as you said, it's irrelevant? Well, here's my theory. I think that this situation, and, and I'm not sure this is the plan of the litigants in this case, and aren't all the candidates from Franklin County? I. I, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure, but I think that they might be Actually, because no, no. they're not. The case. Um, Lansing, are you talking about oh, the, Toledo? Yeah, yeah to Lansinger yeah. is Toledo. Um, okay. Trap, I'm not quite sure, right. but certainly Brown and uh, O'Connor. Yeah. Well, yeah. and and uh, I'm advancing that because there's some advantage in 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 order to do this. But my theory is that everybody knows that all of these are bad ideas. The decision from the Sixth Circuit covering the Kentucky case is not the only one. There's, some, there's another one from Minnesota, another one from Wisconsin. So we have the Seventh uh, Circuit and we also have the Eighth Circuit that are issuing very, very similar decisions. So as a consequence of that, I wonder if it's trying to push this, as Sandra Day O'Connor suggested, into a critical uh, juncture so that we eliminate and, and the, the, the election of judges are all together. And she's been campaigning, by the way, since her retirement on an alternative. Because by, by labeling them on the ballot, it would become untenable for the candidates. Why would that lead to a critical the mass idea, to eliminate? I think eliminate it might be because it won't work. Because I think it'll become so political that then it'll become evident. And, and uh, I think that the media will, will begin highlighting the uh, uh, the shortfalls of that particular. I'm oh, sorry, Joe. One thing that I think is important to note here is that when voters are voting now, a lot of times we see a total drop off um, when it comes to judicial candidates. People yes. don't vote on them right now because they don't know enough about them. They don't know how to vote. And, you know, you might see that number increase if you put the party label next to their, their name. But then, you know, it leads to the question, are you voting for someone because you think they're going to be of a particular party persuasion? And if, that, if that's the case, then are you really getting the best quality judge on the bench? And to your point, Joe, uh, I'm fairly indifferent on the point of whether the party affiliation should go on the ballot, but I definitely think we could have better competitive or more competitive races if voters have more choices. So if you had four uh, people uh, vying for two seats, for example, or four, I'm sorry, four people vying for one seat, that's a better uh, outcome, I think, for You Ohio. think that voters would educate themselves about four candidates versus a few? Well, I'd hope that they would. That's my hope. The, I, I share Emily's view, too, that, that uh, debates matter. And money, of course, always uh, matters. And uh, the Kentucky rules, similar to Ohio's, and another similarity is the fact that judges cannot solicit funds directly. Right. Wow, that, how, would that change the game if they could do that? I think it would make the the game even more vulgar than it already is. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. Which is why, I, that's yeah. why I believe yeah. that yeah. this actually is going to lead to a uh, more dramatic revision in the way that we, uh, let's say, identify judges. 
And a lot of things right now are kind of done with a wink and a nod. Let's face it, the judge may not be allowed to raise money themselves, but their best friend, they can go out and raise as much money as they want for that candidate. So, yep. it, you know, and you can kind of read through the tone of the judges when you talk to them as to who they support and what kind of, you know, ideas they bring to the table. So uh, a lot of the things they're prohibited from saying they can still do right now, even though they can't come right out and do it fully in the open. And what you see, because judicial races are so very different from uh, executive or legislative races, you see now the all uh, four uh, Supreme Court candidates have signed a clean campaign pledge. So they voluntarily agreed to run a clean campaign. That's a good thing. Do you predict judicial appointments in Ohio in the near future? Uh, Moyer was a driving force behind that in Ohio with his the passing. The late Chief Justice. I think, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so it's a little bit up in the air right now, what will happen with that. But I, I agree with Joe that this is a movement toward that. Although uh, Sutton's decision, the Kerry decision, was First Amendment based, it had nothing to do with with, with the politics that we're discussing right now. I think it's a, it's the direction that uh, the country's going. I think there are 24 states that have some version of of electing uh, judges and some sort of merit selection, and then ratification, perhaps by the voters, seems to be the model that the League of Women Voters, for example, has advanced. Okay. Time for our final off-the-record parting shots. Leah Sellers. Yeah, this week, uh, Carl Popeye died. And uh, growing up in central Ohio, I grew up watching In the Know as a kid on uh, public television. And so I was very sad that he passed, but happy to know that uh, In the Know will carry on into the fall on public television. Joe Moss. You know, speaking of politics, as the midterm election cycle heats up, we've seen a frenzy uh, throughout the nation and in our state looking for as many divisive and politicizing issues as possible. Racism, immigration, gay marriage, now unbelievably the 14th Amendment, the Constitution itself, all in the hope of bringing out the base. I hope that Ohio voters, like we were talking about in the debates and all of that, will seek well thought out answers for difficult issues like jobs, the economy, schools. A serious answer is far more important than determining how much a candidate feels like you do about social issues. Emily Reamer. I've been talking about this all year, the casinos. <laughs> they break ground on the casino in Toledo next week, and we still don't know who will be on that casino control commission. And it is the best kept secret in Columbus at this point, because I am being politely persistent <laughs> with everyone I know. So I'm very interested to see when those names come out, who they are, and um, who they're affiliated with. Joe Ingalls? I think we're going to hear more about mismanagement and campaigns. We're going to hear more about, uh, we're going to hear less about Governor Strickland lost, lost us 400,000 jobs and more about Governor Strickland sent jobs to El Salvador, for example. Okay, that's Columbus on the Record for this week. Please check us out online. We're on Facebook and Twitter. You can connect to all of that on our website. This is Ann Fisher. Thanks for joining us.